Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Right now, President Trump's motorcade on the move, headed from LaGuardia to Manhattan, Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. And we start today with this momentous event in our politics lead, a historic and unprecedented indictment of a former president, Donald Trump. Mr. Trump landed at LaGuardia Airport just a short while ago. The former president expected to arrive soon at Trump Tower. He is expected to spend the night there ahead of his arraignment tomorrow afternoon at the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse, uh, where Mr. Trump is expected to voluntarily surrender. Sources tell CNN that the former president faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud, though we should note the indictment remains under seal. These charges come after a years-long probe into a hush money payment made to adult film star and director Stormy Daniels in the days before the 2016 presidential election. And let's, let's, uh, uh, we're looking, let's start with uh, CNN's Caitlin Collins right now. Uh, she's outside uh, Trump uh, Tower. Uh, and, and Caitlin, it, it's odd watching this kind of, for want of a better term, like O.J. Bronco coverage of Donald Trump uh, coming into Manhattan uh, for this criminal uh, matter. Uh, and I know that media critics are, are taking issue with the way that, that a lot of news networks are, are covering this. But I have to say, um, you know, as we watch uh, Donald Trump's limo uh, drive on the FDR, this is unprecedented. Uh, We've never seen anything like this in the history of this country. Certainly. It's historic. And even Trump's team understands that. You know, they have, they do have a sense of bravado here when it comes to how they've planned this. They have been choreographing it, Jake, talking about what are his facial expressions going to look like? What is his body language going to look like as he's arriving here? Because they have considered even potentially using some of this footage in their own campaign materials going forward. But the reality behind the scenes is the former president does not want to be indicted. He does not want to have to go before a judge tomorrow in one of the most personally sensitive cases that he has faced and one that has, of course, followed him and loomed over not only his campaign for president there at the end, but also his time in the White House, Jake. And so certainly that has been an aspect of all of this. And there is a lot of unknowns, even for Trump's team. And they said this yesterday. They still did not know what is in that indictment. They don't know exactly what it's going to look like. One of his attorneys said he wanted to make tomorrow as painless and classy as possible. Of course, all of that remains to be seen, how the former president himself is going to be speaking out about this. We've already seen him attacking the judge, criticizing the district attorney in this matter. And they have said they do not believe this case has legal merits. That remains to be seen what the judge does tomorrow. And if it does go to trial, what a jury would say about it all, Jake. Yeah, and we expect uh, the acting, uh, the judge in question here, acting New York Supreme Court Judge Juan Merchan, we're expecting him any minute to make a decision about whether or not he will allow cameras in the courtroom uh, during the arraignment, uh, which is something that the news media is petitioning for, obviously, given the historic nature of all this. And I believe you've reported, Caitlin, that 
uh, the Trump team, the Trump attorneys uh, do not want cameras in the courtroom. Yeah, they have said that they're opposed to it. They put out a statement saying that they were opposed to it for several reasons. One, they didn't want it to create a media or a circus-like atmosphere. They also had security concerns. And they also said they believed it would affect a jury's ability to be able to see Trump um, with a presumption of innocence. And so those were the arguments they made in a letter to the judge. Of course, we know when it comes to a circus-like atmosphere, that is certainly something that has often loomed over aspects of Trump's post-presidency life, also his, his presidency. And so that part of it is something they're trying to capitalize on politically. They've touted their fundraising numbers ever since word of the indictment came down. But they have said, yes, they are opposed. Some legal experts, Ellie Hogan, and I, Ellie Hogan and I were talking about this earlier, they're not surprised by that because they do believe that having him at the defendant table would potentially... Um, add to this idea of whether or not he is guilty before that's a conclusion made by the jury itself. Of course, it all ultimately is up to the judge whether or not cameras will be there. We have advocated for it because we believe for transparency reasons there should be cameras in that courtroom. So um, let me bring in uh, uh, John Miller uh, right now. Um, John, uh, as we watch these images uh, uh, of, of, the, of Donald Trump's motorcade coming into Manhattan, um, what are uh, the differences between how Trump travels now as a uh, former president um, versus how he will travel uh, when he becomes a former president and criminal defendant? So, I mean, the differences are stark. You know, uh, when President Trump used to come to New York um, and the intelligence bureau uh, that I ran with the Secret Service and um, Chief Tom Galati uh, would set up a motorcade. It would be multiple motorcycles, a phalanx of motorcycles, multiple highway patrol cars, frozen routes. Um, the entire route would be blocked before the president's motorcade hit the road. Uh, what you see here is uh, something very different. There's a highway patrol car in the lead and a highway patrol car in the tail. Uh, the rest of those vehicles are Secret Service and staff. Um, as you can see, traffic in the direction they're going is very light because they've got blocker cars behind them slowing down that traffic there. Um, but you see traffic going the other way. So um, there's a little less pomp and a little less circumstance being A, uh, a former president. Um, and that's just coincidental to the fact that he's a future defendant, meaning in a few moments he's going to end up in a in a in a huddle with his lawyers to figure out uh, the next day when he reports to a courthouse to be charged with uh, a felony and, um, and a crime. Uh, Caitlin, when, as uh, John just noted, uh, Donald Trump's about to huddle with advisors and attorneys uh, in Trump Tower, uh, which is where he is making his way toward right now. Uh, do we know who will be there? So this is actually a really interesting question because Trump has done one notable thing, which is add an attorney to his defense team here in the Manhattan District Attorney's Probe just days before he was going to be arraigned. That new attorney is Todd Blanche. We know this because he left his legal firm to go and represent Trump. He is reported to be a top attorney, formidable. He has a stellar reputation among other attorneys that you've spoken with. But it's notable because the attorney you've been hearing talk about this on television has been Joe Tacopina. As of yesterday, he was the one on television. But there has been some infighting in the legal team and even another Trump attorney, because he does have several of them right now, given 
the number of investigations facing him. Tim Parlatore was on CNN with me on Friday when I asked a pretty straightforward question about whether Tagapino was the right attorney to take this case to trial. He hedged a bit and noted, of course, Susan Necklace, the other attorney who was on this case. But now they've added Todd Blanche to that legal team. We are told Joe Tagapino does still remain on the team and will be there tomorrow. Um, but I do think it, it does give you an indication, Jake, that they are taking this case seriously, at least from a legal perspective. Often the legal strategy and the political strategy are conflated here. So those are the people that are already here on the ground that Trump will be meeting with when he gets here. They're going to be preparing him for that very quick appearance in court tomorrow as his political team focuses on this aspect of it, as he is making his way through New York. Yep. What he looks like when he's in front of the cameras and he gets here to Trump Tower. So. Uh for those well, following at home, the, the president, uh, the former president in his motorcade, uh, t- veered off of uh, FDR and took a right onto 53rd, and they're going to take 53rd cross town uh, to get to Fifth Avenue, where uh, Trump Tower is, or I guess it's uh, on, on the east side. Um, we should note, uh, if you're marveling at the ease with which uh, the traffic is proceeding uh, through Manhattan on a Monday, uh, it it is not typical. This has been uh, the roads have been cleared uh, so that he can uh, get through uh, untrammeled and not stuck in, in traffic. Um, the the case, uh, Caitlin Collins, the case uh, against Donald Trump. We do not know the details. The Trump legal team does not know the details. The critics and those extolling uh, the decision by the Manhattan District Attorney do not know the details. The assumption is. However, based on who has testified and based on what people like Michael Cohen, his former lawyer and fixer, have said in interviews, is that the, Mr. Trump will be charged with more than uh, 30 counts uh, of business fraud. And we believe that since that business fraud, which we believe uh, are largely misdemeanors, but since it was done in the service of another crime, the federal crimes of campaign finance law violations, that's where it will become a felony. And the theory there, uh, as we've all been talking, is um, that when hush money payments were made to Stormy Daniels and perhaps also uh, when hush money payments were made to Karen McDougal, a a Playboy playmate uh, with whom Donald Trump uh, is alleged to have also had a relationship, that those counted as campaign donations, even though they were not declared as such. Now we see right now the motorcade pulling up right outside Trump Tower. Caitlin Collins, what is the crowd like out there? Are there a lot of supporters? Are there a lot of protesters? I'm glad you asked that, Jake, because we are seeing the street behind us clear. We've been sitting here all day as traffic has been coming through, but as you noted, traffic is clearing out for Trump's arrival. There are some protesters here. I would say only, Jake, really a couple dozen. It's been pretty mild throughout the day so far. It's certainly not this this massive thing, which is what some Trump advisors were worried about when he was calling on his supporters to come and protest. They were worried it would be something that resembled uh, January 6th or something like that playing out on the streets of New York. It is certainly not that here. There's almost more members of the media here than there are uh, Trump supporters and protesters across the street by uh, Trump Tower where he's pulling up any moment now. And, and Jake, you're right. When it comes to 
what they're going to find out tomorrow when it comes to this indictment, they have been straightforward that they don't know exactly what it is. They feel like they have a pretty good idea, and by they I mean the Trump attorneys, but they're waiting like the rest of us to see exactly what that looks like. We see right now uh, uh, the Trump motorcade turning so as to drop the president off. He is going to go into Trump Tower where he will meet with lawyers and advisors and spend the night in Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. And then tomorrow, of course, he will be arraigned in Lower Manhattan at the courthouse there uh, in front of acting New York Supreme Court Judge Juan Marchand. Uh, you see that the streets have been relatively cleared uh, of uh, spectators in some of parts of, uh, of this block. And Caitlin Collins, the, the lawyers for Donald Trump have been criticizing what they think is going to be in the indictment. And one of the things that they've been saying, one of the criticisms is that even if one considered these campaign finance laws, law violations, crimes... They all happened in 2016, and they argue that that, that's so long ago the statute of limitations would have given out. The complication with that is that New York law has it so that if you leave the state, uh, here is, uh, we're expecting the president, the former president, to get out of the state, get out of the limo in a second, and there he is. Well, that was uh, not the camera view that uh, his fans or his detractors were hoping for, uh, or anybody just trying to tell the story. It was a, a helicopter shot uh, of the former president, the 45th president, uh, walking into Trump Tower. In any case, uh, Caitlin, what I was saying was New York law has it so that if you are out of state uh, for any duration, it's almost as if a pause button is hit. Uh, on the statute of limitations running out. And since Donald Trump spent four years in Washington and has lived his post-presidential life in Florida, according to New York law, uh, it has not uh, given out. But that is the argument that Trump's attorneys will try to make uh, in court when they move to have the charges just dismissed outright. Caitlin. Yeah. And I also want to note, Jake, one thing is you noticed former President Trump walking into Trump Tower there. You did not see First Lady Melania Trump with him. She was with him on Thursday night at Mar-a-Lago. They had dinner after, you know, mere hours after a word of the indictment came down on Thursday night, that historic news. That is notable because obviously this is a personally sensitive case or situation for Trump. The Stormy Daniels thing was one of the things that you know, when we talked about the merits of this and what you're noting there, some people have dismissed it, legal experts, certainly Trump's legal team. But personally, it has been a very sensitive case because it was a sensitive situation, obviously allegations of an affair. And it was often something that was very difficult when it was something that was brought up at the White House or press conferences to Trump at the time. But I did not see her there. I have not heard if she is traveling with him. She was with him on Thursday. We do know some of his children are traveling with him, including Eric Trump, I believe, as along with several campaign aides. But on the merits of the case, I thought Attorney General Barr, who obviously served under Trump and has been very critical of him since leaving, made a notable comment earlier talking about that for this to be a misdemeanor, that Trump had to be trying to defraud somebody. And he was arguing essentially it was unclear who was being defrauded because it's his own company. 
And Bill Barr was essentially arguing that from the federal standpoint, he said the idea, quote, that this was a campaign finance violation is simply wrong. And that is coming from, of course, the top law enforcement officer when Trump was president making that comment. And he has been very critical of Trump. But it's been notable to see who has been skeptical of the actual merits of this case. And we should note and stress, as you noted there, Jake, we haven't actually seen the indictment yet. Right. I think we have uh, another image of Donald Trump walking from the limo uh, into Trump. There he is. Pretty quick appearance, waving to some supporters or maybe to the police. I can't tell. Uh, There is a Secret Service there, obviously, providing the former president uh, uh, with protection. Uh, So certainly a very quick moment um, and not really characteristic uh, for Donald Trump. We should know this is somebody who does uh, usually... Uh, like to have some sort of, um, for want of a better term, performance in front of his uh, supporters. Uh, John Miller, um, what is the security situation at Trump Tower? I would imagine that uh, all sorts of precautions have been taken uh, to keep the former president safe. So he is not expected to leave Trump Tower between now, his arrival there um, today, Um, until tomorrow uh, when he leaves to go to court. So what you're going to see is 56th Street will remain blocked off while he is in his multi-story penthouse apartment uh, meeting with lawyers, including likely his new lawyer, Todd Blanche, um, who's going to take on a significant role in this criminal case. Uh, You'll also see a police detail present on Fifth Avenue and on Madison uh, with Secret Service Um, standing by in case there is some spontaneous protest, either pro-Trump or anti-Trump. That will all just be in place, along with, you know, the bomb detection canines um, and the other things that that come with that in terms of having all the precautions and tools on hand or at the ready. And John, tomorrow will be historic, but in addition to the historic nature of it, most of us have not been arraigned. Uh, most of us have not had to surrender ourselves before court. Um, tell us what it's going to look like tomorrow. He's going to leave this building. Um, that same motorcade configuration is going to bring him down to the courthouse. Um, he's going to enter not the courthouse entrance, but he's going to go into the district attorney's office where he'll be taken into custody by a DA's investigator. Um, this won't be an arrest by the NYPD. It'll be a a civilian investigator employed by the district attorney's office who has worked on this case. Um, He'll be fingerprinted. Um, I think uh, we're not likely to see the mugshot be taken. Um, And then he's going to be brought through a maze of back hallways and elevators um, to the courtroom where he'll come out into a hallway where we'll see him for a moment um, and then go into the courtroom for an arraignment. The arraignment should be relatively quick. I mean, he's going to enter a plea, not guilty. He's going to be released on his own recognizance. Um, just the, the odd once-in-a-lifetime thing so far is that they're going to have a criminal defendant um, at the bar of justice who is under Secret Service protection and a former president of the United States. And we should note also, John, um, that Trump's attorney says that a mugshot's not needed for Trump. I don't think it's actually required that it be released under New York law in any case. But they say it's not needed because he has one of the most recognized faces in the world. Um, other well-known celebrities, of course, have been arrested and still had a mugshot taken. Uh, we've all seen those images of Frank Sinatra, young Frank Sinatra, Hugh Grant, and others. 
Yeah, so, I mean, this is actually a little nuanced, which is, um, you know, I, I, I saw Donald Trump's uh, civil lawyer um, make that comment this morning. Uh, but those are comments that I, that I made on, uh, on Friday night saying, you know, they probably were not going to take that mugshot. Subject to change, but the law says you'll be fingerprinted and a mugshot, you know, photograph may be taken. The law doesn't say shall be taken, must be taken, will be taken. So the, the actual statute leaves room for some discretion. In this case, I think what authorities are balancing is common sense issues, which is, number one, there isn't anybody in the world who doesn't know what Donald Trump looks like. Number two, in the highly unlikely scenario that he becomes a fugitive, they won't need the mugshot to give to the warrant squad to track him down. Um, everybody knows what Donald Trump looks like. And if they want to create a mugshot, there are millions of high-resolution um, photographs of him facing front and sideways that they can, that they can make one for the file. But the real point is, once that mugshot is entered into the system where any police officer who runs the name Donald Trump with the right date of birth is going to be able to find it, the likelihood of it being improperly distributed is pretty high. And that ends up basically on the prosecution. Why? Because it's not just their case to prosecute. It's their investigation. It's their arrest. So I think, I think in an abundance of caution, they said, A, we don't need the mugshot. B, it's not legally required. And C, uh, once it leaks, um, that's going to be against, against uh, law and regulation, which says... Mugshots are only provided if there is a legitimate law enforcement need, meaning this is a wanted a fugitive and we're, uh, we're asking the public to recognize him. Uh, all pretty far-fetched in this case. So I think they're, they're taking the common sense approach of if we don't need it, let's buy our way out of a problem before it happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, the, the widow of Kobe Bryant um, suing successfully uh, uh, Los Angeles area law enforcement because photographs from that uh, tragic, the scene of that tragic accident, uh, were also leaked. Uh, pictures taken tend to be pictures leaked. Um, let's go now to CNN's Shimon Prokopes, who's outside the Manhattan Criminal Court. And Shimon, uh, you have some more information about what security is going to look like tomorrow there when the former president arrives. Yeah, so Jake, you know, you hear um, John there describe some of the process and what's going to happen. This is actually the street where we expect the former president to drive that motorcade that the cameras are going to be over the helicopters that we're seeing today that motorcade will be on this street tomorrow and this is just outside the manhattan district attorney's office uh, the entrance inside is one hogan place and that's it right there um, to the left there you'll see one hogan place and so he will go in uh, through that door and that's when he's going to be met by the staff from the district attorney's office who are then going to take him upstairs where they begin the arrest process. Once he enters those doors, uh, Jake, he is under arrest and officials uh, will then take him into custody. Then he'll be brought upstairs and then at some point he'll be brought over uh, to the courthouse, just which is connected to this office, taken up to the 15th floor uh, and that's when the arraignment will take place. But Jake, just to set the scene out here, these barriers that I'm going to show you here are all across uh, the courthouse here. There's obvious concern here uh, with protests planned and supporters coming out for the former president with concern with what happened on January 6th. So the NYPD is out here in force. They have some officers out here today. The state court officers are out here as well. You can see them over here. Their vehicles are parked here. And so these barriers stretch all the way 
down the block. Certainly come tomorrow, Jake, it's going to be a very different scene here. The streets are going to be closed. We're going to see a lot more officers, a lot more people, a lot more of Trump supporters. Uh, of course, some folks who are against uh, the former president. So there's going to be a lot of activity. This street that where I'm standing on is going to be entirely closed uh, with Secret Service agents and officers and the NYPD uh, who are really are concerned with what's going to be going on out here. Inside, it's going to be the court officers and the Secret Service that are going to be providing security uh, for the former president, Jake. All right. Shimon Prokopas outside uh, the Manhattan, Manhattan Criminal Court. Thank you so much. Again, this hour, we're watching... Uh, Donald Trump's arrival in New York, uh, arriving uh, at Trump Tower just moments ago uh, after landing at LaGuardia Airport. The grand jury witness list helped show the direction of this investigation. But of course, we do not know how strong the case is, plus the public perception of the charges Trump is facing. CNN is asking the American people, how much do they think politics played a role in the charges? We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. Former President Donald Trump and future defendant uh, arriving at Trump Tower moments ago ahead of his arraignment after that Manhattan grand jury indicted the former president on criminal charges. The arraignment of a former president is something that no U.S. courthouse, something that the United States of America has ever seen. CNN's Paul Reed takes a look now at what to expect tomorrow and also at the 11th hour change to Trump's legal team. Former President Donald Trump's defense lawyers on the attack. The team will look at every every um, potential issue that we we will be able to challenge, and we will challenge. And of course, I very much anticipate a motion to dismiss coming because there's no law that fits this. But those legal challenges will have to wait for the charges to be unsealed, which may not be until Trump's arraignment. A grand jury returned an indictment Thursday after a years-long probe into a hush money payment made to adult film star Stormy Daniels in the days leading up to the 2016 election. CNN has learned the charges include more than 30 counts related to business fraud. Trump is expected to be fingerprinted, just like any other defendant, but it's not clear if he will have a mugshot, according to sources who say there are concerns about whether it could leak in violation of state law. Mugshots are for people so that you recognize who they are. He is the most recognized face in the world, let alone the country right now. So there's no need for that. There's no need for the theatrics. On social media, Trump has attacked Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, calling him corrupt. He even went so far as to attack Judge Juan Marchand, who will oversee the case, alleging the judge treated Trump's companies viciously when they went to trial last year. The judge presided over the prosecution of Trump Organization CFO Alan Weisselberg, as well as the tax fraud trial in which the family's company was found guilty of conspiracy and falsifying business records unrelated to the hush money scheme. Trump's lawyers tried to clean up his attacks against the judge. No, I don't believe the judge is biased. I mean, the president's entitled to his own opinion. I think a fair-minded judge is likely to recognize there's something fundamentally wrong, that we're crossing the Rubicon with this political persecution. As Trump heads into this historic case, he is adding another lawyer to his defense team. Todd Blanche is also going to sit at the table with him. But some people have wondered, what does this mean for Joe Tacopina, who has been the most forward-facing member of the defense? Well, Joe tells me he is still on the team, and he expects to be the lead attorney at tomorrow's hearing. Jake? All right, Paula Reed, thank you so much. Let's bring in former assistant special Watergate prosecutor Nick Ackerman. He's the former assistant U.S. attorney 
in the Southern District of New York. Also with us, trial attorney Misty Maris. Uh, Misty, let me start with you. Trump's team uh, is opposing the news media's request for cameras to be allowed in the courtroom. They say it will create a circus-like atmosphere and increase security concerns. Um, explain if you were defending Trump, if you would also be making that argument and, and why. Yeah, I would absolutely be making that argument. And it is because they don't want the media circus surrounding this case. We all know that this is a case of public concern. And they want to avoid any sort of issue that could be prejudicial having the media there. Now, keep in mind, this argument is particularly effective in New York courts because New York has some of the most restrictive laws for cameras in the courtrooms. So in this venue, there's a very, very common argument made in New York, upheld by the Court of Appeals uh, in a case by actually Court TV back in 2005. The statute that says the judge has discretion on cameras in the courtroom is upheld. So good venue for it. Also, keep in mind this particular judge. I know him. I'm a New York litigator. He is not about the media. He is not about any sort of circus in his courtroom. I highly doubt he would allow cameras in the courtroom, especially with the law that's on the books. And Nick, uh, you're a former assistant special Watergate prosecutor. You tweeted that, quote, if former President Richard Nixon had been held accountable for his actions arising out of the Watergate investigation, no one now would be saying an indictment of Trump is unprecedented, uh, unquote. Um, Given what we know about these allegations of business fraud against Trump, uh, presuming uh, that that our understanding of of the case, that it is the combination of the business fraud with the alleged uh, campaign finance uh, violations, do you think this particular indictment is as serious as what Nixon might have faced before Gerald Ford uh, pardoned him? Well, one of the things that Richard Nixon was facing prior to pardon was being indicted for tax violations. Uh, And in fact, this indictment could also hinge on tax violations. Uh, Everybody keeps saying campaign violations. But the fact of the matter is, when you create phony business records that claim that there were legitimate attorney's fees being paid and deducted on the company's books and records that then land up on a New York state tax return, we're talking tax fraud. Uh, And it's not much different than what Nixon did in donating um, his papers uh, to the archives uh, after and and using a backdated deed uh, to get a deduction that was totally illegitimate. Um, Also, uh, we don't really know what the full scope of the allegations are here. Uh, You mentioned before that we have an idea of a list of grand jury witnesses. Uh, We do only as to people who personally appeared. Keep in mind that this was a joint investigation uh, between the DA's office uh, and the attorney general's office. And there were a number of people who testified in depositions whose testimony could simply be read to the grand jury without having to appear personally. So all of that leads me to believe we just don't know what this indictment is going to allege, particularly in light of the fact that Donald Trump asserted his Fifth Amendment privilege in response to 450 questions, claiming that a truthful answer would tend to incriminate him. It's hard to believe that the district attorney's office doesn't have enough evidence on some of those crimes uh, to put into this indictment. 
Misty, how might Trump's defense fight these charges, even though, uh, as Nick points out accurately, and we're going to keep reminding people, we still don't know what the charges are. We still don't know what's in that indictment. But we do have some idea uh, of, of the nature of at least some of the uh, alleged offenses. How might they defend themselves? Yeah, Nick made a great point because we don't know exactly what the charges are. And of course, that's going to impact any defense arguments. But Jake, for hypothetical sake, let's say it is this misdemeanor falsification of business records charge combined with and an accentuated to a felony because it's to cover up another crime and that other crime being uh, violations of campaign finance law. I think there's a lot of defenses that are going to come because that's a very novel legal theory in New York. First, I would expect challenges on the statute of limitations. Statute of limitations in New York for this type of felony would be five years. There's, of course, prosecutorial arguments. One's the continuing wrong doctrine, uh, that the fact that the president that he was the president and that during that time he had immunity, that he was in D.C. So there's going to be arguments and there's going to be defenses to those. I also think we're going to hear a preemption argument, meaning that the New York law misdemeanor cannot be elevated to a felony based on a violation of federal law. It would have to be a violation of New York law. So those are some of the arguments I would expect to see, among others, that we cannot predict simply because we don't know exactly what the charges are. Nick, do you agree with the notion that of all the criminal investigations going on right now, uh, the the, uh, Fulton County, Georgia uh, district attorney uh, looking into Trump, trying to switch the votes uh, and and find false (laughs) votes in in Georgia to switch the state uh, from Biden to Trump? Uh, the special uh, counsel's investigation into the president's role on January 6, 2021, uh, and not to mention the classified documents. Do you agree that of those three combined with this one, that this one might be the least consequential potentially? Uh, Not really. I mean, if you look at all these others that you mentioned, except for the classified documents, they all had to do with Donald Trump keeping himself in office. This particular case paying hush money to women to shut them up just prior to the vote was basically a fraud on the voters. Despite what Bill Barr says about no one being defrauded, the entire electorate was defrauded here and not told the true facts uh, about these incidents because he was using money to pay them off. I mean, somewhere around a million dollars floated through the system uh, between Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels and paying Michael Cohen an extra bonus, uh, et cetera. Uh, This, in a way, was just an effort to rig the first election that he tried to steal the second election. So in a way, it fits into a pattern that is extremely serious, and it's important that this case be brought. All right, uh, Nick Ackerman uh, and Misty Maris, thanks to both of you. Uh, Really appreciate it. With Donald Trump expected in court in the next 24 hours. A new CNN poll is gauging public perception of this case. What do the American people think about this unprecedented step? We'll tell you coming up. Plus, a deadly bombing in St. Petersburg, Russia, and a woman now in custody, why the Kremlin argues that she may be responsible. That's coming up. This just into CNN, the special counsel investigating Trump's handling of classified documents 
has secured new evidence focused on how Donald Trump personally handled these classified records, as well as those who may have witnessed Donald Trump with the documents. This according to multiple sources. CNN's Caitlin Plants is digging into this for us. Caitlin, what sort of evidence has special counsel prosecutors obtained here? Well, this is evidence that we understand is directly about Donald Trump in the mishandling of documents investigation and the obstruction of justice investigation, these two serious things conducted out of the federal courthouse. And what we understand is that the evidence that they're trying to nail down at this point in this investigation, a whole year in after that FBI search, is about how Trump was handling the records and what witnesses saw him doing or knew he was going to be doing. Things like uh, they're gathering things like notes, text messages, emails, even photographs, specifically from people who would have been in and around the estate, not just Donald Trump's political advisors, but others who work there. We've we've heard about subpoenas to them. But what makes this a little bit different is that these subpoenas are pushing for information. They're pushing for it now and they're getting information. Do you think this signifies the the end of the investigation in any way? Well, it certainly does appear to be the type of steps that would be taken near the end of the investigation, specifically because uh, we are knowing now that the Justice Department has gotten his defense attorney, Evan Corcoran, to testify to a grand jury after being forced to. That's something that happens pretty late in an investigation. And then also we know that witnesses are coming back to talk to investigators after having talked to the FBI a whole year ago. Now they're being demanded to wrap up, give them the final documentation or get their testimony locked into the grand jury in a way that the prosecutors hadn't done before. That to us signals that, you know, this really could be entering its final stage here and potentially even nearing a charging decision at some point in the future. Mm. All right, Caitlin Plants, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Was the hush money payment behind Trump's indictment Was it even necessary? The story from Stormy Daniels printed years before the 2016 campaign. That's next. Based on the facts as we understand them right now, this historic pending uh, arraignment and indictment of former President Donald Trump all revolves around an alleged hush money payment made to buy the silence of an adult film star and director from going public about a sexual encounter she claimed she had with Donald Trump. But there truly was nothing hush-hush about the story before Michael Cohen made the payment on Trump's behalf. Daniels, Stormy Daniels, had been talking about the alleged affair for years prior to little national notice, including during a 2011 interview with In Touch, a cover story right there, where she revealed what happened immediately After that rendezvous with Trump, quote, here's the weird thing. He had one of my DVDs and he asked me to sign it for him. And I did, unquote, weird is one word. Even that wasn't the first time Stormy Daniels told that story. With us now, conservative columnist uh, Quinn Hillier. Uh, Quinn, good to see you as always. Thanks for joining us. So, so interesting. Stormy Daniels uh, first disclosed her alleged encounter with Donald Trump in 2009, uh, as you wrote in your column. Uh, when she was doing a kind of like a fake run for the U.S. Senate in Louisiana. Yes, she uh, a couple of uh, sort of out of work, 20 something uh, Democratic political operatives were uh, just trying to cause trouble, really. And and David Vitter, the Republican incumbent, uh, had had a sex scandal with a prostitute. So they said, let's find some sex worker to run against him, just almost as a lark. And somebody said, 
Stormy Daniels is from Louisiana. Let's get her. And lo and behold, she said she would do it. And they were sitting in a hotel uh, lobby going through her phone, figuring who they could get some campaign donations from. And very nonchalantly, she was naming porn executives and stuff like that. And and then she said, oh, wait, Donald Trump. Yeah, I've, I've got his number right here. At least I've got his his, his top aides number uh, that expletive should give me some money. And it was very nonchalant. And so Democratic operatives had known about it since 2009. She went on two years later to give this long interview with In Touch magazine. So why did Donald Trump in 2016 pay her money to hush up something that was already very public and quite well known? It's It's crazy. It is interesting, especially because, I mean, I, I will say I'm not a big uh, reader of In Touch magazine, but but I will say I did not know that. Um, but you, you you raise an interesting question. I guess the other point, uh, uh, and you write about this in your column today, the, the other point that's interesting is that this does also seem to bolster the credibility of Stormy Daniels' story, uh, which Donald Trump to this day is denying, um, even though I think most people probably think it, it happened. Well, the... the- Uh, It's axiomatic that if uh, somebody claiming a long ago sexual encounter or sexual abuse case, as it might be, uh, if they have some contemporary evidence or told people about it more contemporaneously, rather than having just, you know, apparently made it up on the spot umpteen years later, then that adds to credibility. And the fact that she was telling these Democratic operatives this in 2009, and there's an email train to prove it, that tends to bolster the credibility because she wasn't doing it to try to stop Trump from being president. This was seven years before he ran for president, and she was just nonchalantly mentioning this encounter and giving the exact same details that she is giving now. That's what um, that, that sort of contemporaneous uh, verification that at least she she didn't do it for political reasons. She was she was just sort of talking, yeah. uh, mentioning Trump in the midst of mentioning a lot of other rich people that she knew. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Quinn Hillier, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. We're going to go back thanks, to Jake. New York next. The activity inside and outside Trump Tower now that Donald Trump has arrived. Plus. The shopping app growing in popularity that has cyber experts worried it could take over parts of your phone. Stay with us. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, growing concern about a popular shopping app that some experts say spies on the user's phones, even reading private messages and monitoring other apps, plus new information about the Nashville school shooting that killed three nine-year-olds and three adults. Police say the shooter fired 152 rounds at the school. And leading this hour, of course, Donald Trump has arrived at Trump Tower in Midtown Manhattan. Tomorrow, he will make the wrong kind of history uh, and become the first and only former president to be arrested and arraigned on criminal charges. Sources say he faces more than 30 counts related to business fraud tied to the grand jury's investigation into the hush money payment to a porn star and director Stormy Daniels. CNN's Caitlin Collins and Jeff Zeleny are live for us outside Trump Tower. Uh, Caitlin, let me start with you. You've been covering Donald Trump for years. You've seen him react 
to big events. Uh, I see on Truth Social he's using this perp walk of sorts to raise funds. Um, beyond the bluster, though, based on your conversations with people around him, based on covering him, how do you think he's actually feeling right now? I think he's obviously concerned. He's not publicly projecting that, but when you talk to people who've had conversations with him about this, Jake, he obviously is not someone who wants to be indicted. Certainly not in a case that is as personally sensitive as this one is, because it's not just the hush money payments, it's the affair at the heart of the hush money payments, which we should note Trump has denied. And you were right, Jake, this is all very carefully choreographed by Trump's team. They know that this is footage that they want to use in campaign ads. Clearly, they're already using it to try to fundraise, but also they plan to use it going forward, knowing that it is going to be essentially everywhere. You know, they talked about what his body language would look like. They talked about his facial expression. So they are choreographing that part of it before this short appearance tomorrow. I, when you, Jake, the president has been playing golf in Mar-a-Lago this weekend. He was having dinner per normal. He had dinner with the first lady on Thursday night when word of this indictment came down. But I think it's also important to note as we look at this in the broader context, part of why Trump ran for re-election was driven by the investigations into him. When he announced so early, that was a big factor into that. It's certainly a significant one at the time that people around him discussed when he announced this so early. So when you hear his legal team, when you hear his political advisors say that this is a politically motivated investigation, they believe that is in part something that Trump wanted to be able to argue, to say, I am a 2024 candidate. Here are these investigations into me, which is obviously something we expect them from them going forward. Jeff, uh, Trump is inside Trump Tower right now with his attorneys, with his political advisors. Do we know specifically who is in there uh, and, and what they might be talking about? I think we did see him enter Trump Tower just a short time ago, and uh, there weren't you know, just a few dozen supporters here. Unclear if he could hear them talking or not, but they were, uh, of course, talking about his presidential campaign. But uh, really now these are entwined. He entered this building as the leading Republican presidential candidate. But for now, at least, for the next uh, 24 hours here in his native New York City, he, of course, is a, um, a participating in something that's outside of his control the legal system. So I'm told he is going to be huddling with his political advisors and his legal advisors. Unclear if those are in-person meetings or if they are on the phone. But this, of course, is uh, a building that has so much significance. It was eight years ago this summer when he came down the escalator, announced his presidential bid. Almost hard to believe coming back here as a, a front-running presidential candidate. But I'm told he will be meeting with advisors this evening, some family members likely as well, but all getting ready for that moment tomorrow. Because this is something of all his years in New York, in business, in politics, in entertainment. He has never done what he's going to do tomorrow, walk into a Manhattan uh, courtroom and appear before a judge. But they quickly want to pivot beyond that. Um, already looking forward to the speech he'll be uh, scheduled to give tomorrow evening in Mar-a-Lago when he's going to sort of frame what he believes are the charges against him. So politically speaking, they're actually pretty happy with uh, what this has done. Frozen the presidential race, first and foremost, raised a lot of money. But also, in the long term, it is very much unclear. Of course, this is not the only legal case that's looming for him. He has others as well. But for now, at least, this is something that he's going to enter tomorrow in a very serious manner because this is a serious criminal matter, which he knows. It is indeed. Jeff Zeleny, Caitlin Collins at Trump Tower for us. Thank you so much. Let's get right to CNN's Kara Scannell, who's covering this unprecedented event from outside the Manhattan Criminal Courthouse, where Donald Trump will be tomorrow. Uh, Kara, walk us through what to expect tomorrow. 
Well, Jake, from Trump Tower, the former president will get in a motorcade. He'll be driven down here by the Secret Service, and then he will self-surrender. It's a real significant moment. He will turn himself in, and from there, he'll be processed. Now, this is going to follow the normal course, but there will be some exceptions because he's the president. He's expected to arrive mid-afternoon. He will be fingerprinted. It's unclear if he will have his mug shot taken because there are some concerns that it could leak. Um, but then he will walk down the hallway, the same hallway that drug dealers walked down, the same hallway that his former advisor Steve Bannon walked down, and appear before the judge. Now, at that hearing, it's usually a pretty brief hearing. The judge will ask if he wants this indictment to be read. Usually that's waived. And then he will be asked to enter a plea. And as Trump's attorneys say, he will plead not guilty. From there, his team says he will head straight to the airport and back to Florida. But now we are waiting for two key decisions from the judge overseeing this case. The media, including CNN, has asked the judge to allow cameras in the courtroom, saying this is of such public interest. It's a momentous occasion. It's a historic occasion. The public should be able to watch this. Now, Trump's lawyers have opposed it, saying that we'll only add to what is they expect to be a circus-like atmosphere. They also say it could harm the former president's presumption of innocence to have images of him walking down the courtroom and being before the judge sitting behind a defendant's table. Now, the DA's office has said that they are not weighing in on this one way or the other, although they have said that in the past, the judges have allowed a still camera, a regular photographer, to come in and take photographs before the proceeding starts. So we're still waiting for the judge to rule on that. Now, CNN and other media organizations have also asked the judge to unseal the indictment before then. We're still waiting to see if the judge will do that. And Trump's, in the meantime, is beefing up his legal team, adding a new criminal defense lawyer, and I'm told he will be in the courtroom tomorrow as well. Jake? All right, Kara Scannell outside the Manhattan Criminal Court. Thank you so much. Let's bring in uh, former Trump White House lawyer uh, Jim Schultz, he, he resigned in 2017 after nearly uh, a year as chief White House ethics lawyer. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, so early in Trump's presidency, you had a front row seat to a, a host of legal challenges. Obviously, we have yet to see the indictment uh, unsealed that will happen tomorrow. Um, what do you think uh, of what you, we know about uh, the indictment? We don't really know a lot at this point, except for the fact that it involves the business records issue. And the question is whether that business, how that is going to be bolstered to a felony, right? Is it going to be campaign finance issues? Is it going to be tax issues? We don't know that yet. We'll know tomorrow. There, It's a voluminous indictment from and a, with multiple counts. So we know that, but we don't know what's going to be contained and how they're going to frame that felony um, that felony charge. As you just heard, uh, Trump has hired a new lead counsel for this case, Todd Blanche, who once represented Paul Manafort and also Igor Fruman, one of Giuliani's former associates. Uh, he did this uh, the day before the arraignment. What do you, what do you make of that? Oh, look, he's, he, now that there's an indictment, he's bolstering his legal team. That's what I make of it. And he's looking to you know, bring as much talent to the table as he can and and folks that are going to put his best foot forward in terms of making the arguments they both they need to make in front of a jury eventually and perhaps you know to the court of law on on appeal not only has trump attacked the district attorney not surprisingly he's on also going after the jury he's also going after the judge he's also re-truthing posts that i think it's fair to call just plain deranged this one from just yesterday uh, that he re-truthed says we know for a proven fact that Obama, Biden, Comey, Hillary, Rice, and endless colluders all lied, spied, and tried to frame Trump using the FISA courts, illegal leaks, and fake news to destroy candidate Trump, President-elect Trump, number 45, President Trump. I'll spare you the rest. Um, how do you think future generations are going to look back uh, on Donald Trump 
uh, spending his time boosting kind of wild messages like that. So I, I don't know how history is going to look upon that, probably not favorably, but I think that's, that's, uh, that is a clear indicator of what the strategy is going to be, which is harken back to this is a witch hunt, that this is something that's unjustified, that he's being politically persecuted. The bottom line is all these cases, including the DOJ case, the Georgia case, and, and, the, um, and the Manhattan District Attorney's case, di- were underway before he was an announced candidate. And I, th- I think that's important to note. And, you know, look, this Manhattan district attorney has to has to make certain decisions and has prosecutorial discretion over how he can use his resources in his office. He's chosen to take on this case and is going to have to stand behind it, win or lose. So um, the judge, Juan Merchan, who's, who's no stranger to Trump's orbit on Friday, uh, Trump claimed uh, that the judge hates him. Trump's attorney uh, walked that back, told CNN that he thought uh, that Judge Merchant was a fair but tough uh, judge, though Donald Trump was uh, allowed to have uh, his opinion, which, of course, is, is true. But have you ever had uh, represented a defendant who went after and attacked uh, the judge? I- I'm just that must really Look. bother his attorneys. <laughs> It's certainly uncommon, right? But welcome to the world of representing Donald Trump, right? I think I think you've seen this time and time again where he goes out and says something. We saw it through the impeachment proceedings and other things where he'll go out and say something. His lawyers will walk it back. He'll go out and say something else. His lawyers will walk it back. I think you're going to expect to see that a lot throughout this proceeding. All right. Former Trump White House attorney Jim Schultz, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Coming up, how strong is this case against Donald Trump? We're going to ask our legal experts to break it down next. Plus, deadly tornadoes sweeping through the south. And a new storm threat is on the way. The death toll this year is already twice the number of tornado deaths for all of last year. And we're not even at the peak of the season yet. Stay with us. Continuing our politics lead, Donald Trump has hired a new attorney. This is just one day before he faces criminal charges related, we believe, to business fraud. He'll be doing that tomorrow in a Manhattan court. Todd Blanche will be the new lead counsel in the Manhattan District Attorney case. In years past, Mr. Blanche has represented Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, as well as Igor Fruman, a former Rudy Giuliani associate. Uh, here to discuss, CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers, a former federal prosecutor and lecturer at Columbia University School of Law. Also with us, uh, Charlie Savage, national security and legal reporter for The New York Times. Jennifer, uh, this new hire comes amid criticism that a current Trump attorney, Joe Tacopina, has a conflict of interest because as a legal pundit, he previously speculated that Trump's affair with Stormy Daniels likely happened. Um, do you think that this move with Mr. Blanche is related to that? I don't think so, Jake, because uh, Joe Tacopina says he didn't actually get any confidential information from Stormy Daniels, in which case there wouldn't really be a conflict here. It may be that the former president is unhappy with the fact that those comments by Mr. Tacopina were made, and we had all those side-by-side TV segments about that, so he may be looking to add to his legal team because he's not happy with Joe Takapina. But, you know, this is the time when you would add someone. He's actually been indicted now. They're going to start going to court. It's not so surprising that he would add someone to the team. And Todd Blanche is a very experienced defense lawyer and former federal prosecutor. So he seems like a good pick for that. So, Charlie, um, officials in New York say that there is no major security threat in New York as of right now, based on the intelligence they have. Um, How does this differ from the lead up to January 6th? Do you think that New York, the NYPD, is better prepared? I mean, there's no doubt that because of the example of January 6th in the backdrop, everyone is 
looking for the problem in a way that we know now that people were not really on the ball about what was developing on the Internet in terms of threats ahead of January 6th. Then in retrospect, you could go back and say, why didn't people's hair get lit on fire by this, by this, by this? We don't, if the mayor is sending out the message, they've had some threats, they've looked at it, they don't think they're credible. Of course, no one wants to say, well, I guess there's no problem here until we get through the day. Uh, but I don't, you also get the sense from the broader Trump world that they know that, that violence would not be great, notwithstanding Trump's out there stoking protest, 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 and making fun of the idea of peacefully. They tell us to be peaceful. It, it doesn't look like it would be in their interest to have another January 6th either. One would hope. Uh, Jennifer, we're expecting this indictment will be unsealed uh, by tomorrow afternoon when Trump appears and formally faces charges. There are reportedly more than 30 charges. It seems like it could be a strong case in terms of misdemeanor fraud. I mean, all the facts are pretty much out there. We know them already uh, in terms of paying off uh, Stormy Daniels uh, as well as the paying off uh, Karen McDougal, if that's added to it. But because the misdemeanor uh, business fraudulence is related to campaign finance laws or tax laws, that's what makes it a felony under this theory. Do you think it's an open and shut case? Uh, What do you think? I think factually it's quite a strong case. You know, to prove that enhancement, they just have to prove that the the hush money payments were made in order to influence the campaign. The timing strongly suggests that they were. Also, the information with the Karen McDougal payoff, as you referenced, Uh, That indicated it was specifically done to benefit the campaign in advance of the election. So factually, it's a strong case. Legally, as as folks have been saying, it's not a a well-tested legal theory. Uh, That won't come into play at the trial. They'll make a motion based on that to the judge before trial. I think they will survive that motion. And then if he's convicted, it will be an appellate issue. But factually, it's fairly straightforward and I think fairly open and shut, as you said. Yeah. And and Charlie... um what are the odds you think that the judge looks at the indictment, hears all the evidence and says, you know what, there, there really isn't enough to, to proceed? I, I, I find, I'm very skeptical that would happen. I, I can't imagine that Alvin Bragg would go this far if there was a realistic risk of that. I mean, we have to be careful. I know it's been said on this program and others many times in the last few days. We don't know what's in this indictment. Right. We don't know what that theory is that turns misdemeanor bookkeeping fraud into a felony. Could be this campaign thing that people are talking about. Could be a tax thing, as you mentioned. Until we see, we don't know what Bragg's theory of the case is. But uh, he doesn't strike me as a prosecutor who's unbelievably reckless in a way that he would throw up something a judge would realistically throw out without any more to do. All right, Charlie Savage and Jennifer Rogers, thanks to both of you. Really appreciate it. Still had Donald Trump already fundraising off this trip, this what one uh, wag called a rich man's perp walk from Florida to New York for the arraignment. Will this help Donald Trump? in the 2024 race, plus an update on the American Wall Street Journal reporter being detained in Russia, the Secretary of State now weighing in. Stay with us. And our politics lead a significant majority, 60% of the American people tell CNN in a new poll that they approve of the indictment of Donald Trump. Democrats are nearly universal in their support. A whopping 94% say they approve the indictment. 62% of independents say they favor the indictment. 21% of Republicans say they support the indictment. Let's discuss. Uh, Sung-min, so Trump and most of his likely 2024 challengers are slamming uh, this indictment. I mean, it's really actually (laughs) remarkable 
Um, but 62% of independents, according to this poll, say that they approve of the indictment. Right, right. Well, right now, in terms of politics, they're fighting a race in the primary, which is why you see Trump once again defying the laws of political gravity. Because, I mean, on a very basic level, being indicted is not a good thing for a human being. And yet, Trump has found a way to make this into a political advantage. He said his team says he has raised $7 million since the indictment became official. Now we'll wait for the campaign records to confirm that in the coming weeks. You know, obviously his polling has not only, you know, sustained itself, but continued to rise in the last couple of weeks. So this is why you see so many of his primary challengers coming to his defense. And I I actually thought what um, the former Arkansas governor Asa Hutchinson said today was really interesting, where he's talked about not being able to kind of get that um, oxygen, get that attention amid all this indictment news. Um, and, and he's not wrong about that. You know, what's interesting, though, Sarah, is that um, I haven't heard any one of the people defending him, defending Donald Trump. And it's like basically every Republican running against him or would who will run against him. Uh, is defending him, and every House Republican, every Senate Republican. I haven't heard one say, there's no way that Donald Trump slept with a porn star just a few weeks after his son was born. No, I mean, I think the closest we saw was like Ron DeSantis being like, I don't really know how it works when you're paying these hush money payments to these porn stars. I'm not familiar with that sort of thing. But even then, you know, he's been, you know, vigorously defending Donald Trump, calling it a political prosecution. I do think that we are sort of back in the same place we were, you know, a couple years ago when in a Republican primary, people really do not know how to run against this guy. They're basically out there complimenting him when this, you know, sitting... Going into an indictment day would be a pretty potent line of political attack, you would imagine. So let let me turn to the two uh, campaign hands that we have here. Can you imagine if you were working on... No, the answer is no. I can't imagine it. Let's just say like DeSantis or Haley or Asa Hutchinson. Uh, Can you imagine working in those campaigns? And uh, just you you said it during the commercial break. Our opponent just got indicted. Let's defend him. That's your line. I mean, it's nuts. Why are they even running? If you're running... In a primary against Donald Trump, you have to draw a contrast. You have to give the voters a reason to vote for you against Donald Trump. So to me, it doesn't make any sense on why they're doing this. I think the biggest concern I'd have if I was inside this primary is every one of these candidates that's running against him thinks they're making the same mistake that they made in 2016. Is They think Donald Trump is not their problem. They think he's either going to self-destruct or somebody else can take him out, and then they can still maintain their appeal to the Republican base. They can't. That's not going to happen. This nomination is not going to fall to you via luck or via some other fortunate happenstance. You have to go and get it. Are they going to go and get it? The answer right now is no. And what do you think? If you were, just pretend that, (laughs) to take the Republican politics out of it for a second, how would you uh, advise a candidate running against Donald Trump to to, to handle this, a Republican? I would go after him. I mean, this is free press almost for you to attack, 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 attack. And make the case, not just on issues about, you know, how you're different, but on the moral character that you need to have to hold the office of president and that this person, Donald Trump, does not have. It's telling, though, again, because we we say every election cycle, like, will Donald Trump survive this one? If he survives an indictment, I mean, kudos to him, I suppose, because... (laughs) I don't understand why Republicans are not sitting already in office, not even running for election, but giving them some space to distance themselves now. But instead, they're just falling behind him. And it's not good. They're looking at the polls and they say, OK, well, this, the, the, right now the candidates are the Republican or the Republican voters are supporting him. 
But polls are snapshots. Th- yeah. Those numbers are not going to change unless you go out and make a daily right. sustained attack on Donald Trump or give the voters a reason to start moving towards you away from him. And I, mean, I think if, they that, all, if all Republicans unified against Donald Trump, it actually would skew in, the, uh, in their yeah. favor and clear the field of him to potentially become um, uh, a has-been of the Republican Party. And meanwhile, take a look at this. This is uh, Trump uh, just posted this video uh, of him traveling in his motorcade on his, uh, as, as, as it was re- re- remarked on Twitter, uh, rich man's perp walk. Uh, writing, quote, if you are doing poorly, as so many of you are, do not send anything. If you're doing well, send your contribution to DonaldJTrump.com. Trump, you know, claims to be a billionaire. He's now using his arrest to raise funds. Well, yeah, I mean, look, coming off of you know, the search of Mar-a-Lago, they had this banner fundraising day and they're trying to find a way to do that again. And, you know, seemingly uh, it's working if you believe at least the numbers that the campaign is sharing. They're trying to turn this into an opportunity. And again, everyone who's running against Donald Trump is helping them do it by essentially also saying that this is a political prosecution. It does make you wonder you know, at what point voters could grow weary of this. If this is number one of multiple indictments, if we see an indictment in Georgia, if we see a federal indictment, are we going to hear all the Republican voices saying all of these are politically motivated from all of these different prosecutors on all of these different issues? Or do voters start to look at this and say, I don't want to deal with this in 2024? It is exhausting. Um, You noted uh, how former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is taking a somewhat different tone from the other Republicans uh, who are all in with Trump and all against District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Um, Here is uh, the Arkansas governor who says he's different from the others. Take a listen. There's going to be some that say I should be tougher uh, on the prosecutor. I should be uh, tougher on the unfairness of this. I've expressed my view that I wouldn't bring those charges if I was a prosecutor. But let's let the system work. There are a lot of Republicans attacking that judicial system and that legal system right now. And I'm different. So there is... You know, some nuance there with Hutchinson. Right, right. And what I find interesting about his approach so far is that he goes out of his way to emphasize that he's not, he, he's the non-Trump alternative. He's not anti-Trump. So he does see that delicate line. He He's trying to distance himself from kind of the Trump circus, the Trump show here, but not trying to alienate the voters that do find Donald Trump appealing. Um, so, and I think that's the... And, and how effective that is, we'll see how far he goes. I do think, though, what Ashley said earlier about that sustained attack on Donald Trump, I do think his standing went down in part after the November midterms when you had all this frustration, all this vitriol from elected Republicans saying Donald Trump and his handpicked candidates lost us these winnable races. So that could happen, but you're just not going to see that in this primary field. Take, no. a, take a listen uh, to Nikki Haley. You've got a liberal prosecutor that's doing political revenge against a former president. I mean, that's not a precedent that you want to have. Here you had multiple prosecutors that refused to do actually prosecute this case, yet this guy's doing that. It doesn't make sense, and it's why the New York prosecutors are trying to waste our time. Well, the standard that I would prefer is not paying hush money um, to a porn star. I'm not worried about the standard she's holding Alvin Bragg to. The people of New York elected Alvin Bragg knowing that this case would probably come in his seat and probably his position on it. But the thing about it is the indictment was from a grand jury. 24 people said, we think there's enough evidence to take this. Now, I'm curious, who can sit on this jury in this case? (laughs) Who doesn't? How do you actually have an impartial jury 
in New York City out of all cities. So Nikki Haley is still playing to the Trump base. She's hoping that she can be his vice president if he ends up being the candidate. And that's all that 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 was political fodder. The Trump base is going to go with Trump. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Nikki Haley is acting like a surrogate. She needs to act like a competitor. All right. Thanks, one and all. Appreciate it. Coming up, a woman is arrested in the bombing that killed a popular Russian military blogger at a cafe in St. Petersburg, Russia. Russian officials have released video of her interrogation. And that story is next. In our world lead, the Wall Street Journal reporter detained in Russia has filed an appeal of his arrest. Evan Gerskovich was arrested last week on espionage charges. He faces up to 20 years in a Russian prison. Charges that many are calling a guise for what this really is, a hostage-taking by Putin. That's a sentiment shared by Iranian-American journalist Jason Rezaian. Rezaian was unjustly imprisoned in Iran for more than a year until his release in 2016. Meanwhile, Gerskovich will be held in a Russian pretrial detention center until May 29th. This is the first time an American journalist has been detained on such questionable accusations by Moscow since the Cold War. Russian authorities say they've detained a person they claim was involved in Sunday's bombing at a cafe in St. Petersburg, Russia. The explosion injured dozens of people and killed a prominent pro-Russian military blogger who was outspoken in his support for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This, as a humanitarian organization called Save the Children, marked a tragic milestone of this barbaric war. At least 501 children have been killed in Ukraine since Russia's invasion began more than a year ago. CNN's Fred Pleitkin is in Berlin for us. And Fred, let's start with the St. Petersburg, uh, Russia bombing. We're also getting new images of the incident. Mm. Tell us what they show. Yeah, yeah, we certainly are, Jake. And of course, the Russians have now said that this is a terror investigation. They are classifying this as an act of terror. And they have, in fact, put out some new video, which appears to show the direct run-up uh, to that bombing that took place. And, and, you know, one of the things that we see on that video is we see uh, Tatarsky, uh, Vladlan Tatarsky, the blogger who was killed. He got a statuette from someone in that crowd at that event that he was at. And the investigators believe that it was in that statuette that the uh, explosives were were hidden inside there. Now, we see the direct run-up to the explosion. We also see some of the direct aftermath of that. And of course, the person who's in custody, her name is Daria Treptova, or Treptova, um, the authorities are saying that she gave him that statue. And later, uh, what they did is they had her in custody. They interrogated her. And they put some of that video out. We're not going to show a lot of that video because obviously it appears as though she may have been under duress there. But they ask her, do you know why you're here? And she says, because I gave the statue to Vladlin Tatarsky. Now, she was then asked where she got that statuette from. And she said at that point in time, she didn't want to say... The Russians, for their part, Jake, are saying now that they believe that Ukrainian intelligence planned all of this and also that there might have been people from Alexei Navalny's organization, of course, the opposition leader who's been in prison for a very long time, also part of this as well. Navalny's organization has denied that. The Ukrainian government has essentially laughed all that off and said the Russians need to look inward before they look anywhere else. But certainly a very high profile investigation that's going on there by the Russians. And in fact, there's going to be a a preventive detention hearing going on for uh, Ms. Treptova in the early morning hours of tomorrow, Jake. Can you tell if this is having any effect on uh, Russians, especially Russians who are supportive of the war in Ukraine? 
Yeah, you know what, I, I think it is. And I think especially prominent Russians who are supportive of the war. If you look, for instance, at state-run media in Russia, a lot of the propagandists there, but a lot, also a lot of the ideologues who sort of provide the ideological groundwork for the invasion of Ukraine, for the war in Ukraine. One of the things that we have to keep in mind, Jake, is that this potentially is already the second high-profile assassination that has taken place for someone who is very prominent, hardline for the war. In August of last year, you had Daria Dugina, who's the daughter uh, of a very prominent ideologue who was killed in Moscow by a car bomb as she was driving away from an event. And she was someone who knew the, the person who was killed now, who knew Vladlin Tatarsky quite well. There's photos of them together. So certainly this is having a chilling effect on that community where they now feel that they're not necessarily safe in Russia as well. Fred Fleitkin, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Turning back to our politics lead, the Manhattan case is not, of course, the only legal fight Donald Trump is facing right now. It's just the most immediate. Let's bring in Wolf Blitzer, who's preparing for the Situation Room in a few minutes. And Wolf, you're going to be taking a look at some of the other cases Trump's facing. We're going to be taking a closer look, Jake. The former president clearly caught up in a web of criminal investigations right now. Obviously, the case in New York is front and center, at least for right now. But he's also facing mounting legal trouble on multiple other fronts. At the federal level, for example, the special counsel Jack Smith is digging into Trump's role in the events leading up to the January 6th insurrection. He's also leading the probe into the hundreds of classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. And in Georgia, a special grand jury has delivered its report on the pressure campaign by Trump and his allies against state officials after the 2020 presidential election. We'll get into all of that and a lot more that's coming up right at the top of the hour in the Situation Room. All right, we'll be sure to watch. Wolf, thank you so much. We'll see you in the Situation Room in just a few minutes. Still ahead, police release new and stunning information about the Nashville school shooter. Plus, deadly tornadoes rip through the South as a new storm threat grows today during this already devastating tornado season. In our national lead, new details about last week's deadly school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. Police say that the shooter fired more than 150 rounds of ammunition, killing six people, including three nine-year-old children. CNN's Isabel Rosales is in Nashville. And Isabel, what more did police reveal about the shooter today? Well, Jake, exactly one week from the shooting to the day, we are getting brand new information from the Metropolitan Nashville Police Department. And via statement, they have found that Audrey Hale, uh, quote, acted totally alone. Now, a crucial piece of, uh, of evidence here for these investigators are the writings that Hale left behind and that they recovered from the school parking lot and also from their bedroom, uh, uh, their bedroom inside of their house. Now, through these writings, they have figured out that Hale didn't do this in a spur of a moment sort of activity. This was planned for months in advance and that Hale also looked to the actions of previous mass murderers in that planning stages. I also did speak with Dr. Brianna Fox. She is a, a, a professor at the University of South Florida studying criminology and teaching criminology. She was also a former FBI special agent. Here's what she had to say about the importance of these writings. The most beneficial thing that can come from reading the manifesto written by the shooter is were there red flags? We can see the descent into this and what was done and you know what was the motivation for that person to do it. So we can see in the future, if those red flags pop up, how to intervene, to see something and say something faster. 
Now, the motive uh, for this shooting, that has not been established by police. They released that in the statement today. They're still investigating that as well as the writings. They're not quite done with this as well. So this is a joint action by the Nashville uh, Police Department and the FBI. Uh, and Isabel, meanwhile, uh, hundreds of people, including students, gathered uh, at the state capitol today calling for uh, tighter gun laws. Yeah, just this morning there were hundreds of children, teenagers, parents standing right here at this plaza in front of the Capitol here chanting, save our children, protect our children, holding up signs, demanding accountability from politicians, uh, insisting and demanding gun reform. Some of them mentioned an all-out ban on assault weapons, something that's not likely to happen here politically in Tennessee. Others uh, asking instead for red flag laws that would allow judges to temporarily seize the guns of people that maybe are a threat to themselves or others. They're asking for that. That that is a law that is not in existence here in Tennessee. And interestingly, the, the governor, Bill Lee, he has said that he is open to discussing potentially passing that here in the state of Tennessee. Jake. All right, Isabel Rosales in Nashville for us. Thank you so much. At least 32 people are dead after an onslaught of tornadoes ripped across the southern and midwestern United States over the weekend. The twisters obliterated houses. They wiped out power. They left behind a mess of destruction. The danger, sadly, is far from over. Another round of severe weather is expected tomorrow. CNN meteorologist Derek Van Dam is in Wynn, Arkansas, for us right now. Wynn, where the mayor says the city was cut in half. Derek, what what have you been hearing from all those affected by this? Uh, And how does one even begin to now have to prepare for the next round of storms? (laughs) I pose that same question to people who survived this terrifying monster of a tornado, and uh, they were pretty much dumbfounded. They could barely speak by the catastrophe that they see and witness around them. And this is a perfect example. We're kind of in an elevated position. And Jake, this is what 165 mile per hour winds is capable of. It looks like a bomb has been detonated here within Wynn, Arkansas absolutely heartbreaking. There's a lawnmower from somebody's garage. Uh, Hopefully my cameraman can see this piano here. I mean, this is clearly somebody's living room. Uh, Just terrifying moments. And uh, unfortunately, what weighs heavily over the minds of the the residents here in Wynn, Arkansas, but not only here, all across the Midwest and the Deep South, is the threat of more violent tornadoes late Tuesday and into the day on Wednesday, some of which could be nocturnal, meaning they happen after the sun sets. That is particularly dangerous and, of course, can catch people off guard. I spoke to residents here uh, at a local Baptist church just over my left-hand shoulder and asked them what they're doing to prepare for the oncoming threat of more tornadoes. Take a listen to Stephen Johnson. It makes a whole lot. It's, I mean, it's like losing your own home. And for we, uh, I stopped over to where it was uh, the rail yard and I walked over here and uh, it, it was hard to take. You need to have multiple ways to get the notifications, right? Because these right. things, they come in fast and they come in hard and yeah. they change people's lives in a matter of moments, right? It, it don't take long. When you hear the siren, go ahead and take cover. Jake, the number of tornadoes this year has been more than double than the entire year last year. That puts it into perspective how active it's been. And we're not even at the peak season uh, yet. Derek Van Dam in Wynn, Arkansas. Right. Thanks so much. Turning to our tech lead, experts say one of China's most popular, popular shopping apps 
has the ability to spy on its users. Pin Duo Duo can bypass users' cell phone security. It can even read private messages. This is according to cybersecurity researchers. The e-commerce platform has previously denied that its app is in any way malicious. And as CNN's Christy Lou Stout reports, Pin Duo Duo also has an international sister app that is quite popular here in the United States. In China, Pinduoduo is an e-commerce heavyweight. It broke the dominance of Alibaba and JD thanks to its bargain bin prices, a social shopping model that encourages people to buy with friends, and a focus on lower-income rural users. The app has more than 750 million monthly users in China, and the app is now under fire over malware. Malware is short for malicious software, and CNN has spoken to an array of cybersecurity experts who say that they have identified malware in versions of Pinduoduo. This is highly unusual, and and it is pretty damning for Pinduoduo. We have found that it uses techniques to get extended functionality. I've never seen anything like that before. Cyber experts say the malware allows Pinduoduo to bypass users' cell phone security, monitor activities on other apps, check notifications, read private messages, and change settings. And once installed, it is difficult to delete. The app can also obtain user data, like this photo of a beloved pet, taken from a user's album. Well, we have to underline the fact that this isn't a problem for users in the West. People are using these third-party app stores inside mainland China, and that's where the problem was. And that's where users should be worried about this. In March, Google suspended Pinduoduo from its Play Store after finding malware versions of the app. In a statement, Google said, we have suspended the Play version of the app for security concerns while we continue our investigation. Pinduoduo said it rejects the speculation and accusation that Pinduoduo app is malicious just from a generic and non-conclusive response from Google. Our team has reverse engineered the code and we can confirm that it tries to escalate rights. It tries to gain access to things normal apps wouldn't be able to do on Android phones. CNN also spoke to a Pinduoduo employee who says the company in 2020 set up a team of about 100 engineers and product managers to dig for vulnerabilities in Android phones and develop ways to exploit them and make a profit. Speaking anonymously for fear of reprisals, the source says the team was disbanded on March the 7th, with many told they would be transferred to its sister app Timu, but a core group of 20 people remain. Pinduoduo's parent company, PDD Holdings, did not respond to CNN requests for comment. The allegations come as PDD pushes beyond China with Timu, which sells cut-rate Chinese products to mainly U.S. customers. Launched in September, it quickly became the most downloaded app in the U.S. Until the Pinduoduo can release something like the, you know, like the uh, full disclosure of the how did this incident happen. Yeah, probably before that, we shouldn't trust any uh, applications from Pinduoduo. Timu is still available to download on Google Play, but the suspension of its sister app, Pinduoduo, and the evidence of malware are all casting a cloud on the Nasdaq-listed company at a time of heightened tension and security concerns over tech that's made in China. Christy Lustout, CNN, Hong Kong. And our thanks to Christy Lou Staff for that report. The people in our out-of-this-world lead still have their feet uh, firmly planted on the ground. Uh, NASA today announced the crew for its Artemis II moon mission. 
Commander Reed Weissman will make the trip along with some firsts when it comes to U.S. moon missions. The first person of color, Victor Glover, the first woman, Christina Koch, and the first Canadian, Jeremy Hansen, all scheduled to launch in November 2024 to orbit the moon. They will not land there. There's also a good chance they'll loop farther out from Earth than any humans ever have flown. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of the show, you can listen to The Lead from whence you get your podcasts. Our coverage continue with Wolf Blitzer in a place I like to call The Situation Room. See you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.